0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the Biblical Five-Point Covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Worldview Media (laughs) Podcast. Uh, We're going to review the first episode in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We're going to look at the Fellowship of the Ring. And we've changed things up a little bit because now on your left is daughter Jordan. (laughs) And on the right on your radio is... Wife Joyce, and I'm Gordon, and uh, so we're here to look at popular media through the lens of Scripture, and specifically the five-point covenant model. What we want to do, too, why are we doing this? Why do we care?
2: Ha, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we
1: want to be able to kind of press the truth of Scripture, God's commandments, His concepts, His precepts. We want to press that into every area of life, including how we entertain ourselves and media and stuff like that. And our hope is, as we do this, that it will inspire creatively gifted Christians who listen to uh, refine their craft and maybe it will give them some ideas and just uh, get them to work writing novels and writing screenplays and... Even video games nowadays have to tell a story, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, all that's good. We want to encourage the artistic faction within Christianity to to uh, serve God. Well, right. I think you
3: also see that uh, reflected in the Bible and Scripture. You have that in the Psalms with things that's going on there. Probably um, the Song of Solomon is another one that's really more kind of different than the rest of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you see that with the, the people that were working on the stuff for the tabernacle, for the, all well, of those they were things. Artistically and, yeah. gifted. And so, yeah. you know, using all of those gifts for God's glory is uh, nothing new. So, it's it's what we should be doing and what we should be striving for.
1: Yeah. And uh, including in artistic things. So, that's what we're here for. And to just have some fun. Yeah. yeah. It's Friday. Where everybody lives, and and uh, when this podcast comes out, just in time for movie night, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we're looking at Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, yep. starting with the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. Now, have you read the books? No. Have you read the books? No. <laughs> okay, I've read the books, and i've I've been thinking that. Uh, I'll probably need to act like I haven't read them, and uh, oh. and we'll just treat the movie like the movies are all that there is. Sure. Well, you know, there's always be... a
3: difference between the book. Sure. Yeah, yeah and... the
2: book can't count. You know, like if there's a question right. in the plot of the movie, you can't be like, well, that's it explains it in the
1: book. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because
2: to... you don't see the book, you see the movie. That's right. That's
1: all it is. So we're treating the movies as canon here. Nothing else counts. Okay. All right. So overall impressions of The Fellowship of the Ring.
2: Well, you know. <laughs> I love it. Love it.
1: Love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's real good.
1: I think it's a big favorite in our house. Mm-hmm. And we should stress that we watch the special extended
2: yeah. version. Yeah, yeah not the theatrical version, it's uh, the right. special version. It's the best version. <laughs> it's really good.
1: <laughs> okay. So what are, your, what are your impressions about the story or anything like that?
3: Well, you know, it doesn't just dive right into what's going on into the book. You've got a lot of um, introduction of the past and the history yeah. about what's going on there. You don't just, you know, bam, there you are in Middle Earth. They really give you uh, some foundational information that you need which is in another book and another movie that we don't have going into this. So, um, that's really good. And it's, uh, I think that's important to the whole story to have that basis.
1: Yeah. I think just in terms of plot, one of the things that you can get in trouble with as a novelist or a storyteller is you take too long to get your hero in serious trouble. Yeah. And, uh, Take too long to show that there's something that's really threatening your, and your protagonist, and uh, so I think they did a smart thing, in having right at the beginning, like you say, that kind of recap of things that have been forgotten. And, yeah,
3: maybe uh, shouldn't
1: have. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, and so it's a very ominous. Well, it carries kind of an ominous thing. And, some foreboding yeah. in that. And the right, and it is kind of mysterious because right off the bat they make it sound like the ring has a will of its own yeah. and, and knows yeah. what it's doing and,
2: and is nefarious
1: <laughs> right it's up to no good <laughs> right and so uh, my recommendation when we're talking about storytelling and I say this as a guy who's written two whole novels neither one of which has sold a million copies or anything <laughs> but as a preacher, too, I think that you're shooting yourself in the foot if you don't immediately try to grab your audience's attention and yeah. explain to them what's the issue, where's the danger, why do you need to listen to the rest of this, or why do you need to read the rest of this story? And and so uh, for new writers and, and new storytellers, I think it's good to understand that you can you can accomplish that by being ominous right at the first. But still, I think you run a risk by having too much backstory where nothing threatening happens and stuff like that. Uh, no, I think the Fellowship of the Ring pulled that off. Yeah. And it did it really well. But unless you're just super confident in your storytelling skills... You might want to jump right into the yeah. uh, exciting dramatic stuff. Well, but stuff. that
3: introduction—it's foundational for why oh, sure. you know yeah, why yeah. should we care about this ring? What's the what's the big deal?
1: Right, and and in any story you tell, there's going to be some amount of that. Uh, generally, we call that exposition. You're going to have to you're going to have to tell people what's going on and explain it. Mm -hmm. But generally, where new writers mess up is that they do too much exposition, too much telling, and not enough showing in your writing. You know, uh, if you're writing a novel where you, you have to have a tragic car accident take place... A lot of writers fall into the trap of thinking that it's very dramatic to have somebody barge into the room and say, there's been a horrible accident (laughs) instead of actually describing the accident as it happens and and going through all of that. So the rule generally is show and don't tell Uh and, uh, and I'm just saying, with most of these rules, uh, a really talented writer can get away with breaking the rules or mm-hmm. bending them here and there. But if you're not Stephen King or you're not J.R.R. R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, or somebody like that, uh, you might want to kind of stick to the rules <laughs> <laughs> at first, at least. Yeah. Now, the plot does get going fairly quickly in oh, terms of... Yeah, it thickens once uh, once Bilbo decides to leave and he gets talked into leaving the ring with Frodo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we get to hear the trouble explained as he hears it from Gandalf. Right. And that's a sneaky way. Have one character talk to the other. And...
2: Yeah, and it doesn't feel like forced. Because a right. lot of the time in a movie, you'll have a character explaining something to some other character... Who should who know. Who should know these things. It's like... Right. You know, like, well, that's the president. They were doing... You know, I was just right. like, oh. <laughs> Where have you been living this whole time?
1: Like, Right, right.
2: But it follows, you know? Like, it makes sense. Sure,
1: yeah. Were there any plot holes? Did anything not make sense to you?
2: I, I don't think so.
1: You know,
3: with the extended version, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it filled in a lot of things. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, for me, I... Maybe I was giving Tolkien the benefit of the doubt. I felt like there was more stuff in the books that I was like, what in the world is this doing in here? You know, that didn't oh, make sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I felt like they had to get rid of a lot of that stuff just to make the movie, you know, containable. Down to <laughs> six hours or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't notice any big plot holes. Maybe we'll stumble on them as they go. Yeah. The one thing that I thought was unfeasible, though in the movie at least Uh and I don't remember if the book answered it but down in the mines of Moria we realize that Gollum is following them sure and then the bridge that they cross in order to get out is destroyed behind them Mm. yeah and now how's Gollum keep following them how's he get out and, and uh you know, he's got. So you're saying there's only one. Yeah, door. is there
2: not another bridge to Well, get to that apparently side there of must the... be
1: another way. I yeah. just feel
2: like as dwarves are designing the mine, that'd be. A well, smart yeah, thing they'd to have do.
1: more than one exit, but he's following them, right? Now, what kind of hard time is he going to have with all those goblins and orcs and stuff? And the place is But there is some
3: consideration that he's actually working with them, too. Oh. That he's been released, right? Because he says, is that he Is he an escape. agent of them, though? I well, don't know. but that was part of the discussion between uh, Gandalf and Frodo. Yeah. You know, that, well, did he escape? Or is he here because they've sent him? Oh. And so there's that little question of, is he really, are they really against him
2: yeah. being
3: out and, and doing right. things?
2: Well, but the goblins aren't on anybody's side. Mm-hmm. They're just cave goblins.
3: Well, but, I mean, if he's in league with everybody else and they're in league with him, then...
1: Yeah, all evil is kind of on the same side, except when it's not. Right.
0: Okay. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> That's why you have the two towers and not just the one. You have the okay. Mordor and uh, Saruman. hmm Okay, uh, yeah, I didn't think there was much in the way of plow holes. So, five-point covenant structure. The first point is transcendence. What is the transcendent power? What is the highest power, I guess, is the way we talk about it? Or uh, who's the supreme lawgiver? Or where does redemption come from? Were there any hints given?
2: I think the closest thing that I saw watching it was just sort of the way that Gandalf talk to Frodo about how something's being meant to be and like right, right. and like that kind of idea which sort of at least hints towards at least Gandalf believing that some person or force is in charge of the events and stuff. So that's the closest thing that I got to figuring
1: Yeah, that scene kind in Moria thing. where he's yeah, where they're sitting he's trying to encourage Frodo. Yeah. Well it did I didn't he say something like there are forces for good that are greater than the forces for evil, and well, oh, I think he
3: was recognizing have. that there were two that it wasn't just evil, yeah yeah, going forward and making this plan because you hear about the ring and having this this desire and this right. goal to get to back to its master and so and he was saying, you know, but perhaps there's someone
1: right. And I think, good going on like Jordan said, it almost sounded Calvinistic mm-hmm. there, you know, in terms of
2: yeah, yeah. If Bilbo the ring was meant, meant, meant to, to find this ring, yeah, and the, you are meant to have it now, uh, and right, that's right. encouraging. And uh, I was right. like, oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it almost sounded predestinary in there, and uh, and frankly, that's another place that it irritates me that every once in a while you'll, you'll still hear atheists and agnostics talk about. They'll say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. Oh, really? <laughs>
2: and, uh, what what reason? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I worked with a guy in the Navy that was a pretty uh, partisan atheist. You know, he didn't even, he, he was one of these that hated the thought of God or religion and, and all that. But uh, one time we were talking and he talked about how when he gets into a situation where it's, uh, difficult or trying in some way that the thought that comes to him that gets him through is, Well, I'm probably supposed to learn something through this and uh you know <laughs> Well, but for like, me
3: that goes back to what you said when people say I don't believe in God you just have to yeah. say, Yeah you
1: do. <laughs> right. Everybody believes in God. You and, wouldn't say things yeah. like that if you didn't think Right. And that's what I said to him. How can <laughs> how can you be meant to do anything? Who would mean you to do these things? Who would design it that way? Right. And so I, I felt like what Jordan said is that that conversation with Frodo talking about higher forces for good and evil and and things being meant to happen a certain, the way that they do happen and all that, I thought that was illuminating. And also I got the sense through the whole movie, especially in dealing with Frodo, through the whole movie, there's this idea that there are things working in this time and in this place that are bigger than my own life. Right. And uh, I may just be a pawn in this or whatever, but
2: but I have to play
3: my. I'm part. not the be all
1: and end all. Yeah. And, and well, I
2: see. I
3: see that reflected more in Sam than any of the other characters in this movie because Gandalf gave him a charge. Yeah. Stay with him. Take care of him. And. Right. And regardless, you know, even at the end when he's getting into the water and he's like, Hey, get out of the water, you know how to swim, he's like, I I have to do this. Even if this is Yeah even if this means the end of me, I have to try and do what I was supposed to yeah, do. Yeah,
1: right, right. You got anything else on this count? No. Okay. Uh so then we go to point two, which is hierarchy and, and basically it answers the question who is the representative of the transcendent power that we're talking about here. And for me, I think the obvious answer is Gandalf. Yeah, in, uh, yeah. The, Gandalf. there's the, nobody else. <laughs> uh, well, I kind of think maybe the elves <laughs> kind of... Mm. The elves kind of stand midway between this great good yeah. and... They and, do
2: seem way more enlightened somehow right. than everybody else. They're more in touch with whatever's going on. <laughs> right, right.
1: But Gandalf, he's kind of the, the, he's kind of a preacher and a prophet and and all that in terms of teaching everybody around him about things like you're meant to do this and that. There are these great forces for good. So I, I kind of see him like that. He's kind of a keeper of mysteries and and stuff like that. Teacher, encourager, leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else?
2: No, I had Gandalf written down, too. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I think it has to
3: be Gandalf. And I, there probably is some, some aspect of the elves just being clued in as to what's up, but they're yeah. not really sharing that information. They're not very right. forthcoming with yeah. what's going on with anybody else. Because so.
2: you kind of get the sense that Gandalf knows just about as much as the elves do. Right. But he sort of seems to have more of this, you know, this. he's the one who's telling Everybody else, like, hey, look, right. this is what The elves on. don't care if you know yeah.
1: one way or the other. And, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I just don't... They don't relate to everybody else around <laughs> right. right them.
1: Yeah. Gandalf kind of takes the transcendent, invisible power and kind of brings it down to the level of Earth, or Middle Earth, as the case may be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, uh... The third point in the covenant model is ethics. In in the biblical covenant, what you get here is things like the Ten Commandments and, and God giving his law to his covenant people and saying this is what you shall do or this is what you should not do. Okay, so it's mostly about law and morality, ethical, judicial concerns. Uh, and generally, I think in the in the movies that we watch, it's easiest to discern that by noting particular uh, moral crises or, or big times when the characters struggle with a decision or something like that. Yeah. So what did you come up with there? What do you see?
2: Uh, well, Frodo has a lot of those moments because he keeps right. having, and it's always the same question, you know, like what's he going to, is he going to take the ring or is he going to just pass it on to somebody else? Like, right. is he going to, Go ahead and say that. Yeah, this is my responsibility, and he always ends up saying, "Yeah, I gotta do this and all this." Right. <laughs> and then I thought maybe Boromir was another one. Because oh. uh, trying to take the ring yeah. from Frodo that one time. And he's kind of got that redemption thing working too, because.
1: Oh, right at the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then uh, sort of opposite Boromir, sort of like Aragorn. Because he is faced sort of with the same choices that right. Boromir has. And he does the opposite thing. Right. So,
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and the one... It was early in the movie where I felt like Frodo really had this kind of struggle with it. And it's at Rivendell when they're having the secret council. Yeah. And, you know, they're descending into bickering and, and all that. And you can kind of see him tossing it over in his mind and he kind of has to resign himself to saying, okay, I I will take it. And something about it in that moment, you know, he's saying that, knowing that he's volunteering for self-sacrifice, you know, it's, it's not what he wants to do and, and all that, but he's, he's willing to go and do that. Yeah. What about you, mom?
3: Well, I think of uh, when Gandalf goes and confronts the guy in charge of Sam yeah.
1: and
3: uh, and realizes, you know, the lights go on that oh no, you're in league with <laughs> with this guy, and here I'm telling you what I think's going on, and right. just the that realization to him because the man who he thought he was going to see wasn't that guy, and
1: right.
3: of course then that plays into him not being there when Frodo gets there, and yeah. Uh, and just in all that time, he stayed strong in that you know I can't give in to this power, I can't um, and it's it's about power, who's gonna be in control and yeah. um and he just says no, and you know he says, well, you've chosen the way of of pain, oh, pain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. you know, and <laughs> it did look like it wasn't a good place where he was at, but he didn't uh, He stayed strong in that.
1: Yeah, right. He was. He had the opportunity to compromise and and uh, live a more comfortable life and all that. And then
3: even with a. When he finally does meet it back up with Frodo. Yeah. And he says, "What happened?" You know, and it was just,
1: "I was delayed." (laughs) You know. Right. Kind of understated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jordan kind of hit on what I thought was the thematic big moral crisis for me and you see it played over in a lot of different characters first with Bilbo and then with Gandalf and uh, like you said Aragorn and Boromir and then with uh, Lady Galadriel yeah. where mm-hmm. uh, all of them kind of had to deal with the temptation of the ring yeah and uh, and the the heroic characters are the ones that were able to say, I don't trust myself. Nobody can trust me with this much power. Yeah. And to me, that was that's a very kind of biblical Christian insight, you know. Mm-hmm. And that should really inform the way we do things like government and church government and, right. and everything else that uh, power is deadly. And, and even the best characters in the book knew that if they had that much power, they would freak out and kill everybody and and all that. And so I thought it was, I thought that was just a really neat insight and it was a biblical sort of insight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the best characters, the heroic ones, the most courageous ones were the ones who knew I can't be trusted with this much power. right And Boromir, he was the one that slipped Mm -hmm. and said, Oh, I can be trusted. And, uh,
2: yeah, cuz I've got good reasons. I'm as good as
1: anybody else. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm not going to do bad things. I want to <laughs> help people. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The means justify the ends. <laughs> yeah, right. So for me, I thought that was a repeated. I almost thought it was thematic, just having these major characters have to come up against the ring and see how they would right deal with it. And so far in the in the story Frodo's the one who has, who has the ring. But I don't detect, or I didn't detect, in the movie, him being tempted in the same way. In terms of, he hasn't been it. allured by the power yet. Right. That's gonna come later. You know. That's
3: because uh, he's a
2: ring
1: bearer. Right. Well. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. Uh, spoiler alert. That's gonna. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Frodo's gonna have trouble with the ring. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Can't imagine. <laughs> right.
1: Okay. Very good. So, uh, anything else ethics-wise?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and just you're saying everybody has to deal with that ring, and for me, that just really is reflective of what sin is, and how do we respond to that? And uh, yeah. And that's it's there, and it's very tempting, and it may have this allure that you're in control and you're in charge but uh, yeah. the ring is <laughs> <laughs> right, it's the right. precious you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yep sure and gandalf had that insight that the master of the ring doesn't share his power with anybody right yeah and that's related to mm-hmm. where you're talking about sin and, uh, and all that you're not going to master you're not going to be the controller of your own sin yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, fourth point of the biblical covenant is about sanctions or uh, rewards is maybe the way we talk about it. Either blessings or curses. Blessings on obedience and curses on covenant breaking. Mm-hmm. So what we want to see is were characters rewarded or... How were they rewarded? Were they rewarded consistently with their decisions, or, or what do you see? Uh, Is it too early in the story to I think to it say?
2: might be a little early for most people, because yeah. as of right now, we're still sort of in the middle of things, you know? Yeah, we haven't yeah. quite gotten to that end part where things can be tallied and, right. and all that. Well, except for Boromir.
1: He's at the end now. Did we yeah. miss the ethical things? Should we have talked about... Gandalf giving himself up in the mines? Oh. Or was that kind of more a spur spur of the moment? It has to be this way. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to fall here pretty soon. I mean, I feel like... (laughs)
2: Because he hadn't planned that. (laughs) Right, right. But he he did say that, like, this is where we are now. Yeah. We got to move on.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Well,
2: and then, too, there was
3: hints that maybe he was part of the the discovering of this creature when uh, Saruman was telling him, you know, doing the stuff so the snow would fall down and they'd have to go through the mines, because uh, Gandalf knew what was there, and that's why he didn't want to go. Yeah. You know, they had no clue that the all the dwarves had been annihilated right. and right. stuff, but... He didn't want to go because he knew that monster was there. <laughs> right.
1: Now, while that—that's interesting because while they were trying to make the pass over the mountain, it showed Saruman talking about the mines and why Gandalf didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And he had a book open, right? And he turned the page, and here's a picture of the Balrog. Yeah. Yeah. So, was the Balrog? Uncovered and active in the mines for long enough for a book to have been written about it or <laughs> or was the book about things like ball rocks? Oh,
2: like just <laughs> a book of of dangerous
1: yeah, like here's where we'll find out what a ball rock is.
2: oh yeah. see, I don't know
1: because uh... it it made me think that maybe maybe people have known for a long time that in the deeper recesses of Moria there's this
3: to descend right. farther into the earth and the, the but, fiery places, and, but they
1: know about that. But apparently, the dwarves were living just fine yeah, above it. Yeah, they. And, ju-
2: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. That's, <laughs> well, <laughs> and then they You
3: know, if we're just gonna s- suppose some of these things, you know, if when the dwarves were up and well and doing things, then maybe um, they were keeping this monster at bay and kind of controlling it. But when they were annihilated, then maybe there was nobody there to control him anymore. Right. And so then he's running free. I don't know. But then that doesn't make sense with why Gandalf doesn't want to go.
1: Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's maybe a thing that was not so easy to resolve. But I remember not having an issue with it like the first 20 times that I watched <laughs> the movie or yeah. so. Yeah.
2: Yeah, now it's all I can think about, though. Um, because I can't, I had kind of in the back of my head always been like, did the dwarves, when it was here, how did they, what, <laughs> right. did it just stay?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, so we're supposed to be talking about sanctions, right. rewards. Uh, I feel like Galadriel f- felt like in resisting the temptation of the ring that she had secured something for herself in terms yeah. of... Should pass the Would test. Would it be eternal blessing? She's going to go into the West. Yeah, they're going to go to the
2: undying lands. Right,
1: which is kind of... Heaven. Symbolic yeah. for heaven. Yeah. So she feels like her eternity is secure because she...
2: Yeah, I guess so.
1: ...passed the test and resisted sin there. Sure. Right. Well, I guess we see rewards in both uh, Bilbo... And Gollum, you know, where their greed and their basically idolatry with regard to the ring Mm -hmm. really starts to eat at both of them and destroy their personalities and turn them into something else. That's very biblical, too. You know, the Bible stresses that uh, those who worship idols will become like what they worship. Sure. And really, those who worship the true God are supposed to become like what they worship as well. So mm-hmm. whatever it is that you worship, there's a transforming effect that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we see that with uh, uh, the two with, uh, what's his name? Gollum. The crazy guy, Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Gollum and, and uh, Bilbo. Both they're. I, I thought it was interesting how Bilbo began to act like Gollum, you yeah. know, and use the same language and speak the same way. So, well, but
3: that was only when he was pressed to relinquish the ring.
1: Right. But it kinda of shows that maybe Gollum's personality, you know, that wasn't his original personality. What right. we see. Mm-hmm. And and maybe the ring that's what it turns you into. Is yeah. just this greedy little urchin, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright, but the, uh, what about the issue with Aragorn? And we're finding out, it's more explicit in the extended version, I think, but we find out that he's a, he's rightful king, but he has yeah. rejected his calling and, yeah. and, uh, and is avoiding it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about sanctions in there, too. I think he's running He's running away from what he should know is his destiny and, and what he needs to be doing. Right. And what's his reward been? Well, I think he's been happy enough with his reward, but his reward has been exile and... Yeah. loneliness and
2: yeah. stuff like that. I don't know about
3: loneliness. He's not so lonely <laughs> all the time. <laughs> He's made a couple friends here and there.
1: Right. Well, then that's a pretty big decision Arwen makes, that she's going to give up immortality in order to spend a mortal life with the human that she loves. Mm-hmm. And later movies will get into her reward for that. and. <laughs> How that decision affects her coming on. Oh, uh, the other thing for sanctions that we see is with the, the Nazgul. Oh. Uh, how uh, yeah. the rings of power twisted the men and they became less than men. And, yeah. and became these dark forces. And
3: yeah. So now, but they weren't the only ones given rings. Right. Because the dwarves were also given rings and the... Uh, Elves were also
1: good. Do we bears. ever see any dwarvish ring bearers uh, in this?
2: I don't think we ever meet any. I, no. I assumed do. that they were all dead. Well, would not the one, uh,
3: the cousin in Moria, when he have been? I don't know. Given he... the ring. See, I don't think I
2: don't think they're him. that old though. If you look at like timelines and stuff, I don't think.
1: Yeah, the dwarves are thousands of years old. I mean, the elves are. Yeah, thousands those elves are old. like
2: but they said they were also given to the dwarves. Yeah, but those dwarves they were given to
1: they would have been many generations would have been, ago. So they
3: would have kept the ring and nobody would have gotten it after them.
1: Yeah, well, that's not really explained yeah. where the dwarvish. Rings well, but are. I feel
2: like you don't pass down that kind of thing cuz the way that Galadriel talks about like having a ring doesn't make it seem like it's something that oh son now I'm Somebody dying else can do you it. can take yeah. it on now like I feel like it has to be given to you by, well, whatever it is that's giving people, you
1: know. Yeah. Well, my thought was the reason she didn't become a Nazgul is just because of being an elf, being a purer yeah, sort of being. Yeah, because men are
2: so corruptible. Right, right. More corruptible than elves, or I guess dwarves, right. even though we know that dwarves can be <laughs> kind of greedy and uh, stuff, right. just yeah. by nature. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody's going to be corrupted, it seems like the dwarves would also be. Well, but men have the thing about power more than I think dwarves do. Dwarves just want to be rich and stuff and hide away, but they don't care about being in charge. A a human is always going to want to
1: be in charge. Yeah, I think that's right. And then uh, Gandalf and Elrond and Rivendell had kind of a conversation about that, that Men are not to be trusted, and Mm -hmm. they're weak, that same kind of... Well,
3: but you see that reflected as well in Aragorn saying, I can't be king. Look what the people, what my ancestors did, and we're in this mess because of them. And so you see some of that there too. He's not just saying, "Eh, you know, I don't have time for this.
1: So is he afraid of being king just because of the responsibility, or is he afraid of it for... Well, I Good think he lived with I the think elves, he's,
2: and he's heard that men can't be trusted. Well, I think that he, I think that he knows himself well enough that he knows that he has weaknesses, and no, he doesn't. He doesn't want to, if he fails, you know, fail as a king. But he'd rather fail as just some guy who, you know, wanders around and and picks medicine plants and you know oh, yes. shoots deer yes. and is living a quiet life. He doesn't want to like ruin everything around him because he knows that he's fallible and he's like once that happens if I'm king and I mess up I've messed everything up
1: yeah the stakes are a lot larger yeah yeah well that's probably right
3: well I think we have to talk about Gandalf too because you know he does wind up falling into shadow yeah. Right. and so uh, you know his reward didn't look so great right everything that he'd done and helped them with to get to that point and it looks kinda bleak.
1: Right. You might be tempted to say he got the wrong reward.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't fair.
1: Yeah. Bad things happen to good people. What?
2: And
3: Gandalf.
1: And Gandalf. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> but then spoiler alert, uh then later, we're going to see that. No. What looked bad. We'll have to see.
3: Right now, it's very Maybe bleak. It
1: turns out. It's very okay. bleak. They
3: continue on and get out of the mines, and, yeah, the, yeah. you know, the hobbits are broken. Oh, yeah. They can't believe what they've just witnessed with their eyes. Uh, everybody's kind of like, what's going on here? And, you know, there's the one guy in charge saying, we got to keep moving. Yeah.
1: Ready to move on? Got to keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> Point five right. is secession, succession, <laughs> secession. <this> <laughs> right. That's a
2: whole other discussion. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure it applies here. But I, I was agree. talking about the Patriot for just a second. Uh, no. Uh, okay. Succession is answering the question. Uh, does this outfit have a future? This group that I'm joining up with by Covenant, what's the future hold for us? Well looks bleak. Okay. For all of our characters, what's the future look like?
2: It's looks
3: looking tough.
2: You looking know, the, pretty rough. Yeah.
1: Mary and
3: Pippin have been carried off by the Urukai to their demise. You know, there's they're going to, to torture a, and yep. death. Torment and death.
1: Torment and death.
3: Yeah. Boromir's gone, Boromir. Mm.
1: Yeah, no more future for Borg. Frodo's
3: taken off on his own. With Sam. He comes back for Sam. He doesn't want to go. with wants to just do it alone.
1: Okay, so probably too too soon to say what the future positively holds, but it does look pretty bleak. It because does. Because it has to look bleak at the end of Act 1 so that you can have Well, it and even Gimli
3: saying, you failed. Right. Yeah,
1: our fellowship is
2: broken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is technically true. There definitely there's no fellowship anymore. It's gone. They have to move on and go for another right. thing.
1: But you know, the three that go chasing after Mary and Pippin, they do it with some high spirits. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're not they're
2: not feeling glum as they run across the plains, <laughs> the very very
1: long many plains. Uh, right. That's funny.
2: Yeah, they they do manage to keep their spirits up, but. We won't really see that until next movie. You won't really how do we even know?
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, just there's started a started off well. I just felt like there was a just ending this movie where it ends and not knowing anything that the future holds. I felt like there was a lot of reason to be hopeful about the future with Frodo and Sam as well. Mm-hmm. Because it just seemed like now they both understand that they're stronger when they're together and that yeah. their friendship is you know, it's uh, their strength is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and, and, so uh, they
2: need each other. Uh, right. they're both where they're where they ought to be. And
1: they're happy they're together, even yeah. if the place they're in is horrible. And, yeah. And so there's reason to be hopeful that they're gonna move forward. And it would be terrible if it was just Frodo facing the oh, yeah. razor sharp rocks. And then <laughs> well, even when small. they get
3: and look out on what lies ahead of them. Yeah. It looks... Yeah, that's yeah. not a pretty picture. It's yeah, not it appetizing. Yeah.
1: yeah.
3: And then, too, in the in the thing with uh, Frodo and Sam is that they're really just continuing on what they started back at, at the house. Right. You know, it was the two of them setting out. Yeah. And they picked up people along the way, and they were, you know, we're going to... We're all here. The gang's all here. Let's go and get this done. But it it was the two of them to start with. And it still remains the two of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's always better, seems like, to have somebody else with you when you're trying to do something that's going to be hard. Yeah. You know?
1: I think Solomon had stuff to say about that. Two are better than one. Yeah. And uh, if two men sleep in the cold together, they can keep each other warm and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If one (laughs) falls, the other can
1: (laughs) lift them up. Yeah. Yeah. So we're probably at the point of explaining just overall your letter grade and what it was that you like so much about it. Uh, so you go first, Jordan.
2: I feel like I do I go first all the time. Okay, well here do I you... go. Well you've never gone first. Anyway, uh <laughs> I think <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got to be it's got to be an it's, it's gotta be an a plus for me okay i gotta say
1: what are your favorite parts about it or
2: well i really it's just so well put together the whole thing like you got the cinematography is so great like it's so pretty and and yeah. and then the music is awesome sure. it's, and then i just feel like well the acting is really good <laughs> And the story, you know, it's compelling and stuff. Right. As we've been talking about. Right. And yeah, I it's it's a solid one for me. That's an A plus.
1: Cool. Mama, feel the same way.
2: Well, I'd have to give it an A plus as well. I think the characters are really
3: um, they're really good. They're believable. Uh, the struggles that they have are uh, very relatable. Having to deal with with power, and what do you do with that, and how do you handle it, and can you touch it, right. should you touch it, should you even look at it, and then just the, you know, people turning against you that you wouldn't expect to turn against you, and other people saying, you know, I'm, I won't leave you,
1: Yeah.
3: I can't leave you, and so, and then you have somebody who just leaves, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, why'd you go, <laughs> how can you leave, and so there's just there's a lot of, um, intrigue. It's the, I think with the beginning, just a little intro with about the history of the ring and what this ring has done in the past. And now it's, it's trying to get back to where it started off. And so you have that, that story of history. What does the history tell us and how can we learn from that? And how do we go forward from here because of what we know in the past and I think a lot of times people forget their history, and, and that's just really important to know. Because as you go forward, you just need to know where you've come from.
1: Yeah. I, in fact, I wrote that down. I didn't, we didn't get to talk about it, but right at the beginning, they kind of made a little bit of a big deal about talking about how certain things were forgotten that should not have been forgotten. Mm-hmm. and yeah. like. Forgetfulness and remembering are really kind of moral issues, depending on what it is that you're forgetting. And, and it made me think about the United States of America right now and how so much of our past has been forgotten or rewritten. And uh, we yeah. suffer for it, for not knowing. and yeah. We've forgotten the wrong things. But frankly, in the Psalms, there are a couple of places where uh, forgetting can actually be, is actually sinful. You know, forgetting isn't like a, a mental failure, it's a moral failure. Mm-hmm. You've forgotten the wrong things and and you did it for evil purposes.
3: Well, and like you're saying in, in the Bible, that's relatable to us as Christians because I think we tend to forget the enormity of what Christ did for us sure. and the freedom that we're supposed to walk in because of that, because we forget and we just take it for granted that, oh yeah, yes, Easter, he was... Crucified, he was dead. He was buried the third day, and you know, yeah, I know that. But to really know that in your heart and to understand what that means, um, and to live in that, yeah, are different things. And it's a matter of remembering,
1: yeah, really and, remembering.
3: Yeah. And in and in that remembering, God's forgotten all of your sins,
1: <laughs> right? You know, there's a holy forgetfulness too yeah. on, the, on the part of God. That's right. Uh, as I. F- I give it an A plus, too. It's, it's probably one of my top ten favorite movies. I agree with what Jordan said. It seemed like everything in the movie, every little detail, mm. they didn't just do it, but some committee went off somewhere and decided <laughs> yeah. what would be the best way to do it. I feel like yeah. they did things like, okay, we need an elven version of a wood cutting axe here. But we can't just use this axe that we made for Gimli because yeah. it's a dwarven axe, and, yeah. and obviously an elven wood cutting axe is not going to look like a dwarven wood cutting it's axe. It's going to be
2: and, completely different, <laughs> right? No.
1: And they had committees that would sit around and decide. Yeah. You know, exactly what does the food on Bilbo's table look like? What kind mm. of bread would Hobbit bake? And Yeah. And everything is just so detailed and tricked out like that, where yeah. everywhere you're looking is stuff like that.
2: It's great. And the costumes, yeah. all the little details and the embroidery. Right. and Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, the, the attention to detail was ast- was astounding to me. And I didn't realize it until we watched it again prior to doing this podcast, but I was a little bit surprised at how good the music was. I had forgotten. And when they started playing the music and, <laughs> and during the during the show when different themes would arise yeah. musically, I was like, man, this is some really good music.
2: That's great.
1: Right. But I think what I remember, the reason I give it an A+, probably transcending that, is I remember the first time we saw it. And for several weeks after that, I was, I was applying it to my life in terms of my own watchfulness against sin and, and temptation. You know, mm. for a while there, I kind of walked with the idea that sin was pursuing me in much the same way that the Nazgul were pursuing Frodo, and <laughs> and, uh, and I and I knew I had to be watchful for that. And, mm. and like I talked about, the good characters being those who knew they couldn't. They couldn't play around with the ring at all. And yeah. They had to just do away with it and be done. And, uh,
3: well, but it's not just that it's pursuing you. It's that you're
1: carrying it around on, your, oh, on yeah. a necklace. The enemy is within the <laughs> gates. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. not just someone
3: chasing you. it's yeah. You're carrying that. <laughs> right. And you think somebody's chasing you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Very interesting. So A-plus for me, A-plus for you, A-plus for you.
3: A-plus. It's a pretty good <laughs> hey, <movie>. High five. <laughs> <laughs> Plus for
1: everyone. All right. So I think that's probably it for us this week. And next week we'll press on and do the two towers. If you all okay. out there in podcast land want to join us and rewatch the two towers and be our guest, it'd be, it'd be cool if you went on the worldview media podcast, Facebook page and, and left your own comments about this episode that we're talking about here. If you think we got something wrong or we missed stuff or whatever, uh, add your own comments. That would be really cool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be
3: fun to hear some other views on it. Too. <laughs>
1: right. And uh, and prepare for the next one. Watch the two towers with your family and, and uh, be mindful of the covenant as you do. That would be cool. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you all next week. God bless you. Do your best. Be creative. Part of the image of God in you is that ability to think creatively and tell cool stories. So we'll see you next time. God bless. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.